Yeah, I think for anybody in the immunization space is thinking about immunizations for the community as a part of the immunization neighborhood, which is a phrase that was coined by the American Pharmacists Association and takes every immunizing provider in your general area. Um, and with a patient-centered focus, advocates for all of those providers to work together. Um, with the decline that we've seen in immunizations over the last several years, um, there are plenty of immunizations to go around. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where quality measurement leads to better patient outcomes. This show will be your go-to source for all things related to quality improvement and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals, and we will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. Please note that the topics discussed are based on the information available at the date and time of recording. Information or guidelines are updated periodically, and we will always recommend that our listeners research and review any guidelines that are newly published. Buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. Welcome to the PQS podcast, where we focus on medication use, quality improvement, and how we can utilize pharmacists to improve patient health outcomes. I'm your host, Nick Dorich, and this is our second episode with Amanda Applegate from the Kansas Pharmacist Association. She is joining us for these episodes to talk immunization since August is National Immunization Awareness Month. In case you missed it, Go back to part one, check out that episode as we discussed updates for the COVID-19 vaccines. However, for today, we're back to discuss updates for other adult immunizations, and we've got a lot to cover here as well. But uh, with that, Amanda, you're back here on the show. Nice to have you here today, and how is it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always happy to talk about immunizations. Yes, you and, you and I share that passion and interest. And uh, before we jump into that, Amanda, folks, they might not have listened to part one yet, or they might have forgotten who you are, uh, right? They're focusing on the COVID-19 updates and everything else. Can you give us a quick rundown um, on your background in healthcare and then also what you do now? Absolutely. Um, I initially was really interested in health systems and infectious disease and the H1N1 pandemic back in 2009 participating in vaccine clinics for that really flipped my focus. And I have been a public health focused pharmacist ever since. I spent 11 years as an immunization coordinator for chain of grocery stores in the Kansas City metro area. Um, and now I am with the Kansas Pharmacist Association as their director of practice development, helping pharmacies move um, beyond dispensing into clinical services such as immunizations and other public health measures. Excellent. Well, thank you, Amanda, for the quick introduction. And we're going to get into our questions for today, talking about adult immunization recommendations. But we're going to get into that right after we hear a quick message from the PQS team. Now it's time for the breakdown. As Quality Corner show host, Nick will ask three main topic questions. Our guests will have a chance to respond, and there will be some discussion to summarize the key points. This process will repeat for the second and third questions, which will wrap up the primary content for this recording. After that, expect to end on a closing summary, usually containing a bonus question. Now that we have described the process, let's jump into the questions. 
All right, Amanda, we are ready to jump into our discussion today on adult immunization updates because we've got a lot to cover in a relatively short amount of time. There's a few vaccines or a few disease states and the related vaccines that we're going to talk about today, four in total. So for our, our for our audience, prepare yourself as we've got one extra question and one additional topic for today. Amanda, let's go ahead. Let's start off. And the first one that I've got on my list for us to discuss today is hepatitis B recommendation. So what can you share? What's new? What's What's been updated? This is a really interesting recommendation because it's kind of similar to what's been happening in the past. But what we'd seen is that hepatitis B vaccinations had remained fairly stable um, over the last several years. And hepatitis B cases were actually trending up a little bit. Um, so the CDC's ACIP committee took a quick look at this um, and, you know, over the course of about a year or so, decided that they needed to remove the risk-based recommendations for hepatitis B vaccines for adults um, and actually move into a universal recommendation um, for ages 18 um, through 59 years old. So any adult in that age group should receive a hepatitis B vaccine. Um, so for pharmacists, that's what we generally deal with is that adult population. Um, so pharmacies should be screening for and administering the hepatitis B vaccine series. There's no preference for um, uh, which type. There's actually three um, vaccines out there right now for hepatitis B. So whichever your pharmacy carries, um, adults should receive that. There's a little bit of a caveat is that over the age of 60, these vaccines aren't quite as effective. So really should be reserved for adults at higher risk. Um, so there is a risk-based recommendation over the age of 60, but the basis of this now is any adult between the ages of 19 to 59 years old should receive a hepatitis B series. Yeah, Amanda, great call. And I think with that change, that that might make that availability or recommendation for healthcare providers talking with patients might mean a little increase or uptick in patients that are asking questions about that. Or for you as a pharmacist, when doing a screening with patients, that that could come up as a topic more often. So that's one where, because it's being changed from risk-based to age-based, that might mean more immunizations for hepatitis B. All right, Amanda, let's move on to our Item number two, and at the time that this episode is released for our audience, we are going to fully be into August, and that means that pharmacies are definitely going to be preparing for flu shot season. They might already be giving flu shots as well. So I know that there have been some updates here, particularly particularly around high dose or enhanced flu shots being given. What can you share with our audience for new updates in this area of influenza? This is one that's been unofficially practiced as research has developed for the last several years, but ACIP has gone ahead and made it official this year and said that for persons over the age of 65, they should receive a high dose or enhanced flu shot. Um, high dose is pretty self-explanatory, um, but that enhanced covers the recombinant um, or the adjuvanted flu shot. So if one of those three is available, um, the person over the age of 65 should receive one of those vaccine types. However, vaccination should not be delayed. Um, and so if one of those vaccine types is not readily available, um, that person over the age of 65 can receive any of the other vaccines that may be age appropriate for that. So we certainly don't want to delay that vaccination. Anytime we can get that flu shot into an arm is a good time. Um, but, you know, officially now, 
there is a preference for those high dose or enhanced vaccines for those persons over the age of 65. Again, this is something that's been practiced for a while. Um, so at the past flu season, over 80% of that Medicare population already received this vaccine type. So for the most part, keep doing what we had been doing because we know that those vaccines are more effective for that age group. Yeah, admittedly, Amanda, I don't have much to add or any kind of follow up to this because I think many, whether it was uh, healthcare providers, be it physician practices, other uh, providers, and then pharmacists, pharmacies, I think they were doing a lot of this anyways. Um, it is good to have that official recommendation and backing, uh, but ultimately not going to impact much on how folks are being done. I would call out your point there at the end. Um, importance is getting a vaccine. So if the preferred or recommended product is not readily available for those patients, um, you know, get them that regular flu shot. Um, that's that certainly is going to be the key part to prevention. Now, Amanda, the the next one I'm going to next area that I'm going to bring up, it's a topic or disease state that we at PQS have some experience with. We've looked at and reviewed somewhat around quality measures as well. And this is being recommendations for pneumococcal uh, vaccines. However, there's been some changes to these vaccine recommendations. So what's new and what can you run down for us? So this is a fun one in that we've got two new vaccines in this space. However, one's kind of a replacement for our currently existing one right now. So before I move further, I always want to put in a plug for the CDC's Pneumorex. It is a website and an app. And so if you're looking for patient-specific information, you can plug in their information. It'll spit out exactly what we're looking for here. Um, so that's always a great space to go because I think um, pneumococcal vaccines has generated a lot of questions for pharmacists over the years. But for right now, we're looking at two new vaccines. So the, probably the most interesting one is going to be PCV20. Um, it is a one and done. So for a lot of people, that's a really attractive option, especially if you have a patient you're not quite sure is coming back for a next dose. Um, so for those who've never received that pneumococcal vaccine or you know have a very unknown history as far as vaccinations go, um, one dose of that PCV15 or PCV20 can be used. If PCV20 is used, again, one and done. But if you start with PCV15, it does need to be followed up with PPSV23 um, or that um, pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine. Um, so that you can either have 20, one and done, or 15 plus 23 um, for a two-dose series to get that. And nothing has changed as far as the actual recommendations go. Um, so this still applies for both um, all adults 65 years and older, um, as well as adults 19 through 64 with underlying medical conditions. So most chronic disease states. Yeah, Amanda, again, myself and others at PQS, we've done work around the space for pneumococcal vaccines. And it's an area where I would say it can be confusing might not be the right word, um, but there's there's different pathways based on patient, what vaccines they've received, the, you know, the, the risk group that they're in or in the age group that they're in. So where I would advocate pharmacy groups or for pharmacists that are out there, if this is something where you're going to be providing these vaccines for, for pneumococcal, um, make sure you've got resources from, you know, some of your pharmacy partners or looking at CDC resources. Um, there's basically a decision tree and there's, I've seen some very good mapping on how that can be done so that it should be very much a yeah, based on situation, yes, no, helping you to pick out what is the correct vaccine for that particular uh, patient. So it can be a bit confusing, but there are resources to help there. So don't be afraid of that part. All right, Amanda. Now, last question that we'll get to. Um, so we're going to cover four 
four topics or four disease states, and this is our final one. This is going to be RSV vaccine. So this is new and coming to certain populations maybe in the next year or so. And I say that that's a big question mark at the end. So what can you share with us and our audience about this particular topic? Yeah, I think anybody that has kids has probably run into RSV before or the respiratory syncopal virus. That's one where we think about it mostly in that pediatric population, but it actually causes a lot of morbidity and mortality in the over 65 population as well, too. So right now, um, there are four vaccine companies with an RSV vaccine in um, phase three trials um, and looking for a rollout of this vaccine probably at the end of 2023. Um, so just wanting that to be on the radars for pharmacies is that we're looking for another vaccine in that 65 and up population, which is primarily served by pharmacy partners. Excellent. Well, Amanda, thanks for covering these topics today. And I said we were going to talk about four disease states, four immunizations. But before we close, it, actually, there's one other topic that I want to bring up. And it was something that you and I discussed again in planning for this episode. So I'm going to deviate from my scripted questions for a bit just to ask you, when it does come to pharmacists and when it does come to improving vaccine accessibility, vaccine confidence, and you know, working with patients and other providers, are there any other tips, recommendations, or concepts that you would want to share just to make sure that it's on the radar for our colleagues in pharmacy? Yeah, I think for anybody in the immunization space is thinking about immunizations for the community as a part of the immunization neighborhood, which is a phrase that was coined by the American Pharmacists Association and takes every immunizing provider in your general area um, and with a patient-centered focus advocates for all of those providers to work together. Um, with the decline that we've seen in immunizations over the last several years, um, there are plenty of immunizations to go around. And so for patients, there should be no wrong door to enter into to get that vaccine. So providers of all types should be working with each other to share information through immunization registries and working with each other to have consistent messaging um, to encourage patients to get their recommended vaccines, um, you know, boost vaccine confidence and get those vaccines into arms. So working together, um, everybody playing nice in the sandbox, as we always like to joke about, um, but making sure that, you know, there are plenty of immunizations to go around and plenty of patients to take care of in terms of that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Amanda. And as we close out this section and this part of the podcast as well, I'd, I'd again reference, we did this at the end of our last last episode, part one with Amanda. We're going off and, and we're talking about recommendations for vaccines uh, that are relevant and that are updated as of summer 2022. Now, Amanda mentioned a number of times the CDC and their ACIP group, and that's the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. So if you look and search for CDC uh, ACIP, again, that's the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, very easy to find, and I'm on their website currently. The first link that you see on there is Actually, the first three links are ACIP recommendations, immunization scheduled, and then shared clinical decision-making FAQs. So those are the parts there where I'm going to give that my own plug as far as where you as a practicing pharmacist or a practicing healthcare provider, where you should be going for the latest information. Uh, Amanda did a great rundown today. 
that's again relevant and recent as of summer 2022 but i'd expect that this is going to be changed and reviewed and updated accordingly as new information new research does become available so be sure to check those out um, but with that we've now reached the close for our topic and our clinical questions and clinical decisions for today i'll give a quick rundown here on the topics that Amanda discussed with us today. First, we discussed hepatitis B recommendations, and that changed it from risk-based to age-based. We talked about high-dose or enhanced flu shots being given and official recommendations being made for patients that are in that 65 and older population. Changes in pneumococcal recommendations, um, importance for following decision tree, and then RSV vaccine coming soon for a population that's going to be uh, coming up probably in the next year or so, but stay tuned to that for more information as that becomes available. But now we've reached the part of our episode where we like to talk with our guests, ask them a couple questions that may or may not be exactly related to pharmacy and to healthcare, but we may dabble into that space as well. So Amanda, I hope you're ready. And we've got two questions for you today. Um, this is a follow-up to, uh, to the two questions that we had in our last episode. But first question for you, it is going to be pharmacy-specific or pharmacy-leaning here. What do you think is the next area or service for expanded pharmacist scope of practice? I think one of the things that I'm looking at, and, and I always look at this as a public health perspective um, or that public health lens of right now, we've done a lot of work in the um, acute illness phase. So pharmacists doing test and treat as was recently authorized for COVID. We're seeing test and treat for other acute illnesses such as flu, strep, UTIs, et cetera. Um, I think one of the future expansions we're going to see is going to be pharmacists expansion into um, cancer prevention um, and other sorts of more chronic illnesses such as pharmacists doing um, tobacco cessation counseling and pharmacists doing things like interventions into other um, preventative screenings such as recommendations for colorectal cancer screenings um, or mammograms, et cetera. Great consideration, Amanda. Certainly that's on my radar as well. So something for pharmacists to think about going forward. Amanda, next question. This one might not have anything to do with pharmacy or healthcare, but hey, uh, I could be wrong. What is your latest TV, movie, or book recommendation? I tend to use TV, movies, and books as maybe a little bit of an escape from pharmacy, um, but I'm going to stay in the science realm. And one thing I've been really enjoying lately has been Apple TV's For All Mankind, um, which examines an alternate history of the space race um, and what would happen if Russia had reached the moon first. So a lot of a really interesting reimagining of history and what our space program in America could have been. Excellent. Thank you, Amanda. I'll say that was not on my, my radar, but now being added to my list for consideration. So thank you. Glad I asked that question. Uh, now, Amanda, uh, final question for you here today. And again, we, this is how we finished our last episode with you as well. But um, if folks want to uh, follow up with you about immunizations, uh, about pharmacy implementation, pharmacist services, et cetera, where can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? As I mentioned, probably at the beginning of this one is I can talk about immunizations all afternoon um, and I love exploring where pharmacists are going next in terms of scope of practice and quality services. So it's an easy email address. You can reach me anytime, um, Amanda at KSRX.org. And please feel free to reach out. I would love to chat about immunizations. 
Yeah. Well, thank you, Amanda. Again, I certainly appreciate it. And I, we are planning out this whole series of topics and considerations for immunizations. Uh, Amanda was a great resource for me to think out how we wanted to really kind of put these episodes together. And like I said, I was looking to do one episode and Amanda and I, we brainstormed enough where we had two two topics or two episodes that we were going to be touching on. But I can also tell our audience that some of the other episodes that we have upcoming are also going to have Amanda's fingerprints uh, on them, as well as some of our topics actually that are going to be coming after Adult Immunization Month. So my sincere thanks to Amanda, um, certainly my recommendation uh, for others to 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 um, to check in with her great resource and a great pharmacist, great public health advocate. So, Amanda, again, really appreciate having you here on the show. And for our listening audience, that is now going to wrap up today's episode. So we do thank you for joining us today, and we hope you listen to our next episode of the Quality Corner Show. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. But until then, we have one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.